Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Welcome to our new episode of Transportation Matters. My name is Martin Daum. I'm the CEO of Daimler Trucks and Buses, and I hope you are all well and healthy. Thank you all so much for being with us again. In today's episode, we will talk about a topic that is crucial for all of us, and that is innovation. Innovation has always been the way forward, the way to make our lives better. And today, innovation is more important than ever, because innovation is the only way to solve the global challenges we are facing, be it the COVID pandemic or climate change. And you see, we don't start small. So in this episode, we want to take a closer look. We want to discuss what innovations truly are and what it takes to make them a success. I'm very glad that we've got the perfect guest for that topic, Dr. Franz Werner Haas. Dr. Haas is CEO of CureVac, a company located in Tübingen in southern Germany that is well known throughout the world by now. CureVac is one of the biopharma companies that have been developing a highly innovative vaccine against COVID-19. Dr. Haas joined CureVac in 2012 and became its CEO in 2020. Franz, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. My first question, if I look at your resume, you are a lawyer. Lawyer can work basically everywhere, but why at a biopharma company? And why then rising to the CEO position as a lawyer? Could you give us some insight in your life and your motivation? Yes, Martin, uh, certainly. Uh, thank you very much, first of all, for this audience and uh, participating in this uh, podcast. Well, me as a lawyer, I always have been very interested in science. And uh, my interest in law and legal systems is more in the organization and how to use the legal systems and regulatory systems in order to make something work. Therefore, I never worked in a law firm, but always in industry. And since 2002 in the science industry, biotech industry, and as a lawyer, especially in smaller companies, you have to take advantage of uh, certain tasks. Then you're sitting on the one side uh, trying to get a contract done with a pharma company. And in order to do this, you have to understand what it's all about. Because a contract is just a contract, but you need to understand what is the content of this. And by that, I went more and more into business development as well and how an organization, a company should be run. Especially then if it is a listed company, which is even more so regulated. And this is how I'm standing now in the life science industry for more than 20 years. And Ingmar Herr, as a founder of CureVac, I know him since 2006, uh, said, well, uh, after a while, don't you want to join us here at CureVac? And CureVac has been 80 people at the time. And so I took over the operations, the legal HR. And so I'm uh, one of the RNA people. And when in the beginning of last year, Ingmar had a well, physical health problem, uh, I was asked, uh, as I'm with the company so long, don't you want to take over? Because I know what the company is all about. I know about the strategy and I have been working with Ingmar so close and said, yes, of course, because there was a need. And then you do in a biotech company what you have to do. And this is how I ended up uh, as a CEO, which is uh, certainly an honor to be. And when you joined CureVac, had you ever the idea that a global pandemic would uh, jettison your company 
to the pinnacle of media and world attention? Or was it always some kind of a scenario in the background or was it now even a surprise for you guys? Well, uh, Ingmar hired me with the promise that what we do at CureVac is something which is turning the medicine of today completely upside down. If you really can make your body produce your own drug by coding exactly the protein which is needed, uh, this is a potential even I understood as a lawyer at the time, mm -hmm. and then entering much more into science. So it was quite clear that this has a huge potential. And now to be in a situation in this pandemic where mRNA obviously can make a huge difference uh, because you know the target you're going after. You can bring this on the mRNA and encode exactly this piece of the virus and give it to the body and the body is taking this up and the immune system is trained by that. So that is exactly the reason why this company has been founded at the time by Ingmar and Florian von der Möbel mm. and Steve Pascolo to make exactly this difference, that it would come overnight to turn the company upside down within a year's period of time. Uh, I think nobody was expecting this, but that this is a scenario where this technology can make a difference and this is only where it started. And where it starts, there will be other vaccines, there will be oncology, there will be molecular therapies. So it is more or less why the company has been founded 20 years ago. I still remember last year very well when COVID came up and went through my process, you know, like most everyone from the listeners to any other manager. So from this is something happening in China to, yes, just another type of flu until, oh my God, this gets bigger and bigger. And this all in the time span from mid-January to mid-February 2020. Your company should have been a little bit ahead of the curve because you might have been better judgment what's coming. So what would be your uh, fast forward story of the first weeks of the COVID? pandemic. Yeah, in the beginning, our scientists are more or less uh, trained and they do this. Uh, if there is a new virus coming up, they order exactly the sequence and uh, try to see, can we put this on mRNA in order to see what it is and whether our technology is working with this regards, because also all viruses are different uh, to one each other. So at the time we had a rabies uh, uh, vaccine in development and accidentally Christmas 2019, we had our new manufacturing site certified by the regulatory authorities. And so our rabies vaccine really could see, we could see that with one microgram, so one millionth part of a gram, you can get protection. And uh, so they also took the sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, ordered it, and really could see, okay, it does make a difference. Uh, and we can put it on mRNA. And then we had eight different kind of constructs which were different to one each other in uh, three different regards. One is to get an expression of uh, exactly this protein. The second one, whether you get a uh, balanced immune response because you want to protect healthy people and not want to turn them ill. And the third one is, can you produce it also on a larger scale where our manufacturing mm -hmm. suite comes mm -hmm. into? And so this is what people have been trained. And so, yes, we have been ahead. And then certainly uh, what brought us a bit more down slowly is uh, that nobody was expecting that it's getting so big. And by that, you need to organize 
to scale up your manufacturing, if you really believe mm. that this is going to be big, you need to have more manufacturing capacity. Mm. You need to plan for clinical trials where 30, 40,000 people to be included. And for that, you need to have financial means as well, for which at the time we have been started with this. The science part, yes, but all the other logistics part, this is commercial what we are doing. It's not only science. If you want to run these clinical trials, if you want to scale up manufacturing and all these ends you have to bring together. And this is at the time we have been doing this, we haven't had the financial means in order to bring mm -hmm. all of this in. But for me, this is the second part of innovation. I'm at the moment more interested in the very first part because when I look at your product, before COVID, I've never heard about mRNA. You know, that was some strange language uh, people from a different industry are talking. Yeah, we have our own four-letter abbreviations in tracking. Uh, I don't want to bother you with this at the moment. Was that for CureVac a longer way to, let's say, to commercial breakthrough and COVID just accelerated it? Or were you just waiting for the moment to apply the innovation? From the science part and the doability, uh, CureVac has been ready to do this because we are working now for 20 years on uh, mRNA, uh, how to optimize the mRNA, the messenger RNA, in order to exactly deliver to the cell the protein uh, needed. And it is certainly, it's a bit like bio meets IT because what we are doing is coding the mRNA by the nucleotides uh, sequence of the very protein. And this is where you can be so quick in order to mm -hmm. do this. So that's why I mean our scientists, this was the same uh, when it happened with Zika, with Ebola. So our scientists, they know then what the nucleotide sequence of the virus look like and then try to get it on the mRNA. Yes, so therefore to answer your question, I think the mRNA technology is exactly where it can make a difference and obviously it does, which is good. Because my, my problem is, but I would like to hear your answer first, is sometimes you have great innovation but it takes time that you get it to, in our language, to market or you bring it into effect. So for me, it looks like you had a technology where you were researching since 20 years already, ready, but the world hadn't heard about it. You know, there was not that cure for, you, you mentioned rabies or Ebola. They didn't do the splash now COVID certainly is doing. So was there any restraints in the past that the technology hadn't that huge breakthrough or was it just under the radar of the general public? I think under the radar of the general public, yes, for a simple reason, because there was no mRNA product out there which is now only happening. And each innovation, I don't know whether you can confirm, each innovation needs also its time to be applied. Uh, so because there is vaccine industry and the industry in vaccines is very consolidated. So there are not that many companies out there. If you turn to oncology, there are much more. And why is this most probably the case is that there is an industry which has something to offer, which is especially this egg-derived kind of vaccines. And so with a new innovation, you have to conquer a field which is somehow working. And by that, you have to have very good arguments why an industry which is established has to invest into an innovation which is eating up more or less the markets of the already established products, which are mm -hmm. egg-derived. So mm -hmm. the swap into the new technology has somehow been forced into now by this corona pandemic crisis that you could see that the existing 
technologies are perhaps not good enough for this very use case. And by that, that's what I mean. There needs to be a need to apply mm -hmm. an innovation for products itself. And now, as you can see, a huge efficacy. I mean, that's for me often the fascination with innovation. And, I, and as I said, I have my own example inside Daimler Trucks, and I have it even in my own biography about 23 years ago. I got offered a job at a Daimler subcompany uh, who worked on the fuel cell. I had different opportunities at that time and I haven't chosen the fuel cell, but I looked deep into it and I was fascinated already 23 years ago by the fuel cell technology. So then the question is now, why did it take 23 years? Yeah, that such a compelling, uh, let's say, technology now gets into mainstream and we are talking now bringing it into actual vehicles and not just research vehicles. And as you said, it needs a need. Yeah? And for us on the trucking side, it's a climate change. The biggest handicap so far was certainly the success of the technology diesel. Very successful, absolutely efficient, much cheaper than the new one. But you had side effects, exhaust, which ultimately society, industry, we have to change something. We have to accept higher things. So, so it, I mean, it's not absolutely parallel to your situation, but I can understand why sometimes a very successful innovation, which potentially in 10 years will be general knowledge and everyone would say, how stupid had I been or had we been that we haven't used that in 30 years? Yes, this is always in hindsight, but here I really see how, what can we do as an industry? to become faster in future when we have those steps. This is, did you sometimes debate that inside CureVac or you say we just have to wait and be prepared and when the situation comes, then let's use the situation. Yeah, of course, we had this discussions uh, tremendous times because, you know, as an industry, uh, innovation industry, innovation does not come for free. This is really, well, it is expensive in multiple ways. First of all, you need to put a lot of money into innovation to develop it, especially in our industry, because before you have got a product, you need to have this development path on a phase one, two, three, you need to have manufacturing. At the time, Ingmar and Florian wanted to run the first clinical trial. There was no GMP manufacturing, which is a special grade of manufacturing, special highly regulated process to follow up with. Otherwise, you cannot have this. This was worldwide not available. So, the one innovation needed other innovations to come on mm -hmm. top. Otherwise, uh, there, there was nothing to bring into the human. So that's one thing. And it is, as I said in the beginning, uh, also for this clinical trial now to develop a product within just 12 months time has never been mm -hmm. done in the pharma industry. And you carry exactly this investment until the very end. Even in a phase three, it's not a given that the product will enter the market. There's still a development risk. And by that, normally you have got seven, 10 years in which you have mm -hmm. to invest. As I said before, there are products out there. So you need to go to exactly these companies with the CEO of these companies to say, you need to invest something take money in your hand to invest into a new technology, which will take time. The innovation is not coming for free. And you're absolutely right. There needs to be this big, massive need in order to set free all this energy, because it's not only that you convince one person, you need to convince now regular authorities to be very fast now to fight this pandemic on a technology. What I'm trying to say is innovation needs also a community who is convinced 
Otherwise, you're a lonely fighter. And if you don't have these followers, you will stand just as a pioneer without turning. So you need the competition there as well, that people are taking this up until this very point now, last year, 2020, it is not a complete new technology which has never been tested in humans because this is what you need to do as well, the acceptance of innovation. It needs to be accepted also by the consumers, which is now the healthy human subject to be protected against COVID. Mm -hmm. And that's it also to, that you say, no matter what we do, even if we are so fast with the development of the product within less than 12 months, it is so important to say there is no, nothing what has been taking anything against safety and tolerability. There were no compromises made, no compromises. Thank you, Franz. This was really impressive. And I tried to, to scribble down some essential points and let's unpack a little bit because while you were talking, it related a lot to what I figured out in our let's say, drive for innovation and sometimes the roadblocks you have to get innovation fast to market. You need sometimes a sequence of innovation. Yeah, So you needed a carrier to get your chemical wonder into the human body. When I think of fuel cell, we need H2 produced in an efficient way and we need green CO2 free H2. So that is the sequence. But I see sometimes a problem. Those sequences are typical hen-egg problems. Yeah. Do I go for the egg to get the hen or should I rather focus on the hen to get my eggs? How did you solve that hen egg problem? Or was it just a matter of time until two streams from two different companies come to one? Yeah, in this case, it was a natural sequence uh, of events. First of all, you need to get the science done before you can start a clinical trial. And the science was a kind of fighting against the barricades, so to speak, because the conception needed to be changed. Nobody wanted to work with mRNA at the time when Ingmar was founding the company because it was unstable. You cannot work with it. Although it was already at that time known that you can have any protein is decoded by the decoding of the human genome at the time. And, and it was accidentally also in Tübingen, 1869, where the nucleotides have been discovered by Friedrich Miescher here in the uh, castle mm -hmm. or a, a kitchen. And so bring both together that you know the nucleotides and you know that you can code any uh, protein. But nobody wanted to work with the mRNA because it's so instable, but you need just to clean it very. And this is a manufacturing process. And so the manufacturing was the next step to go and to tackle what uh, Ingmar and Florian did at the time, for which it was quite clear, now you need to have the second innovation done, produce mm. mRNA in a stable way. And this is what they did. And you developed that yourself or you looked uh, outside in the industry for someone who could support you? Well, there was no one uh, because there was okay. it was not existing because nobody okay. wanted to work with it. And so, uh, yes, we had to work together with the regulatory authorities. So I was not at the company at the time, but Florian went to the Regierungspräsidium and said, well, can you help us? Because uh, this is what we want to do. Everyone was really fascinated and said, well, you have to come up with a proposal and then we say yes or no. And then, well, it's very hard to have a proposal if there is nothing existing. And so both have been working as a regulatory authority and a company working together in order to make it happen. So you always also rely on industry or on other partners independently where they're coming from. In this case, mm -hmm. regulatory authorities even. We go back to our initial one, what drives innovation. The first one is you need often a sequence of innovation so interesting how you solved it. As I said, we on the other side depend a lot on green H2 and that 
Unfortunately, we are not an energy company, so that now needs a close collaboration. And I think that is a common thing. You have to say, I want to go there, you know, and then this solves the hen egg problem is if one declares I'm the egg, then the hen will automatically be following. And whether you then produce it yourself, like in your case, or whether we get then partners excited to do it on their side. The second one, I think, was for me a very important one, which you said is that you need an environment and a community that thinks in the same direction. Real innovation, just to, to be the only one in the world who has this aha is sometimes not enough to push it forward. Could you agree with that? Or? Absolutely confirm for two reasons. The one reason is that sooner or later you need another partner, which is a pharma industry, who helps you to develop a product. Because if you have got a technology platform, that's one thing. And even if you know how to produce it, it's the other thing. But then you need to have this clear understanding what a product would look like. And then you need other expertise there as well. Uh, the clinical operations, the pharmacovigilance, if you're in the market, all of this expertise, by that you need to convince a professional in the field, which is in our case the pharma industry, can you help us produce, develop a product? And so in order to develop those, you need to open the door to these people who say, okay, there is something where we see, according to the scientific data, the preclinical data, or even early human data, that there is something We see what it is. At the end of the day, you also need to convince the consumer, in our case, the healthy people who wants to be vaccinated or mm -hmm. cancer patients who are ill who need to be treated. So this is exactly along these lines where you need to convince these people as well. There was another important sentence in it. If I go back to my company, my company got founded to make the humans less dependent on horses as their major means of transportation, which was 130 years ago. Now, we are a very established company, global leader in trucking. Yeah? So in your world, I would be the equivalent to Big Pharma. Yeah? We know it all. We have developed for nearly everything our, our medicines. You know, We know our processes. We are very successful. People love our products or depend on our products. And now comes a newcomer who wants to change something completely. And I could see there is a natural conflict. Yeah, uh, Certainly on the other side, we are fully aware yeah, that we have to change as well. So what's your take on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there will be a change in the pharma industry and you see it today as well. There are companies with only a few thousand people. We are 660. And now coming with a platform and even are able to produce and also not only by ourselves, we have got a network of other companies helping us to produce the mRNA. And this is changing. And this is exactly where we, for example, have a collaboration where Bayer is supporting us to bring our current vaccine on the street, so to speak, to stay in your picture. Uh, and also with uh, GSK as uh, one of the world or the world biggest uh, vaccine player to develop a next generation even on COVID vaccines and even beyond COVID uh, vaccines. So it is really then an alignment with exactly these companies to say, can we put our strength together? We have got a nice platform which can make and does make a difference. And you have got the infrastructure, the idea, the product development expertise, what you can bring in there. And this is a very nice thing to see that the big pharma and biotech company meet on an eye-to-eye -eye level, which is not always the case, as you can imagine. 
Yeah, I can really imagine. But it's it's good that it is complementary. That say, okay, can we put our strengths together? Because now in the pandemic, it's even more clear. It's a run against the time. We cannot afford to say, oh, let's do it the biotech way, which is, you know, not that much money, not the infrastructure, not these people. Or can we do this in a faster fashion together? And, and this is where it is. This is exactly where you break the ice to say, if we put our strengths together, this is exactly where we can come to an end, which is helping the pandemic situation or even beyond tomorrow to really change medicine based on our platform, which is good. Sometimes a real crisis situation helps to understand that it's not about me or you and who get, it's how can we solve it together, create then a new situation, and then the pool will be enough that both guys get whatever is satisfactory. Another thing with innovation which comes to my mind is always both on the one side, the willingness to take risk, and on the other side, uh, you know, how do I deal with failure? Uh, if I look, I mean, in this case, your business is potentially much more risky than my business. And it's nice to have a new technology. Did you have in the last eight years at CureVac or nine years at CureVac any sleepless nights? There were many sleepless nights. I can tell you that uh, within the last 12 months, uh, it has been accumulation <clears throat> of those. Innovation also comes together with failures. We had in, so a prostate cancer trial, which didn't work out because we have seen that the cancer treatment at the time when we started the clinical trial has been uh, tremendously better while we have been running the clinical trial because of the checkpoint inhibitors, which we couldn't include because our trial was running. So uh, this is really something where you see, poof, this is really very hard also emotionally, where you put so much time into it And most probably a bit different to your industry, if you have got a clinical trial, you set your endpoints and then you have to go through. Whether you meet these endpoints or not, you don't know, you only will figure out. And then it's whether it's black or it's white. Mm -hmm. And, if, and if, it, if you don't meet, then it's done. You cannot proceed. Even if you are very late, this is certainly also what you then, we took this lesson learned, we saw what was possible and we kept on going. And in the same year, we uh, closed the deal exactly on this learning, what we had with a pharma company, because I said, that's exactly what we also thought that this would be the case uh, when you started, but we, nobody knew, but now we knew. And based on these data, so it's an evolution kind of process, based on these data, we did get a deal which we most probably would have not gotten uh, before without these data, although these data have been a failure. Within the last 12 months, I really have to say, there are, of course, there are quite a lot of sleepless nights because it's all in a light speed what we are doing. You're, you're seeing the data. The data needs to be good, exactly what I'm mm -hmm. saying. But yeah. all of this is compromised within a short period of time. Yeah, sure. But I would say this is what I call always the operational hassles. Yeah, it's a lot to say to save the globe from a pandemic uh, and just call it an operational hassle. But in this case, for me, the principle is clear. Now you have to get it really done. Yeah, there's a lot of work, a lot of problems. We have that every day as well. For me, the bigger challenge is that unknown. Yeah, you just don't know whether your idea at the end is going to work. Yeah, and how to keep an organization motivated. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly what is happening when you're waiting for data because you don't know 
because it's blinded. So the, the physician doesn't know what is injected and the company doesn't know what is injected. And, and the patient, of course, doesn't know either. And then to see, is this, because so many things are dependent on it. The entire motivation, exactly what you say, but also the investment, because we had to raise a lot of money last year as well in order to do what we had to do, because there was not that much money left when we started all this last year. And then we had to build up the company to attract investors to say what we do. Uh, we did do an IPO in order to get exactly also this visibility, which is needed, and certainly much more investment to be done. And all of this without knowing whether the data are good enough that we will have a product, and this is only COVID, but it will have, if it doesn't work with COVID, certainly it will have an inflection, not only on the valuation of the company, but also, oh, does a technology platform work for other products as well? So there is a lot of things depending on it. I clearly believe uh, that it will work in other uh, vaccines as well, because we have got uh, quite uh, a lot of data and also in oncology, but this is all to be proven. So, and this is really what is causing the stress to see, okay, there's so many things depending on it, exactly for the reasons what you said, the energy in the people inside and outside as well. And if you look forward, what would be your dream vision for CureVac 10 years down the road? And so we are more going onto the dream world at the moment. And I would say no listener should invest on France's dreams. But for me, it's more the part, and, and I can share that what I have for the trucking industry. But I would like to see what is your dream 10, 15 years down the road 2040 or so, yeah? Uh, what is your dream for CureVac and the industry? Yeah, I clearly see that what we see now is in prophylactic vaccines, that mRNA doesn't make a difference, has clear advantages, and that there will be other vaccines out there, that there is a clear technology mature enough to fight other pandemics as well, like a tsunami warning system, that you have got technologies out there mRNA technology, which can fight outbreaks, which even taking this together with another innovation, you have got these machines standing in cities like Wuhan and you can prevent a virus from even breaking out because with the mRNA technology, you can code this very virus on the RNA, develop a vaccine very short, and within one week, this machine can produce one crumb. So this is, again, translated in microgram, a million uh, micrograms. And by that, that's a technology what is bringing. So this is in vaccines only. There will be other vaccines. And you can put different kind of strains that you have got, for example, the Wuhan strain, the UK strain, the South African strain in one vaccine, mm -hmm. just one shot. And by that, you can protect the people. But the same, again, is in... Uh, there will be multiple of products. You will see in oncology, mRNA-based oncology vaccines and treatments protein therapies. This is what you can do. And again, you can produce it more or less on the go, very fast in small manufacturing units, even in university hospitals. And this is really what the innovation is on mRNA. It's not only that you're coding a protein to give it to your body. It is also that you can change the entire medicine. You can much faster react to something. You can produce it on-site. You can produce it even thermostable. This is really where the innovation in the complete picture looks like. And this is what just started. Uh, and uh, to closing in on an end, I think it's really fascinating. And I'm intrigued you know, of the possibility from the concrete side of the medicine where we all as humans depend on, but more on a culture of a company that really drives some complete new frontiers. 
what would you, on a generalized way, what would your advice be for a company to uh, what's necessary to be an innovative company? And secondly, what would be your advice to be an innovative society? Perhaps to start with the letter to become more innovative. I think we in Germany, uh, but also in Europe at large, I think we have got very innovative people. Uh, we have got very good academics uh, as well. I think where uh, then innovation really makes a difference is to turn it into products. This is really uh, where there is quite room for improvement, I would say. Mm -hmm. Really to allow to say, okay, yeah, there is an innovation, but do I need it today? But I think it's advisable to think perhaps today not, but perhaps tomorrow. Let's think about tomorrow. Where do I want to stay as a society tomorrow as well? And perhaps even uh, then to allow in the second step also to generate this infrastructure to allow this innovation to happen. Because again, innovation is not coming for free. We need to have capital markets in order to finance also this. And again, which is important to me as well, to allow innovation sometimes on the way to be a product to fail, to say, okay, this is it, uh, and take the lesson learned and put it on a higher level. This is also uh, certainly not cost-free. And by that, the Uh, society really can, if, if, if society really sees what is in for the society on innovation, then it is, I think, much more a kind of pull approach that, uh, like in your industry, you're saying, well, there are uh, innovations out there, but it needs perhaps the pollution in order to set these innovations free. Yeah. And then you look into and say, well, these innovations are perhaps not that new, but there yeah. was no use case for it or no wanted use case. This is often the unfortunate thing. Why do we need a crisis or why do we need a catastrophe, which is even worse, you know, before we change? This is something we potentially, both as managers and as humans, have always to remind us. On the other side, I think you're completely right. It's always great to have that. We need that basic Uh, you know, research and innovation, people with good education to drive us forward. Really great stuff. I really loved our conversation. We could go on for much, much longer. So we have unfortunately limited time, but I hope to for every listener that gives you good thoughts and good ideas to push forward with innovation in your company, in your area, uh, to understand better what drives big and smaller companies uh, if they want to change the, the world. I hope that we meet soon again. And uh, Franz, at that point of time, from my side, so much thank you for that great conversation and for all your insights. Martin, thank you very much. It was a pleasure, really. Thank you very much for the questions. That is it for today. Thanks, everyone out there for listening. Please join us again for our next episode on Transportation Matters, because transportation truly matters for all of us. Until then, take care and stay healthy. Thank you. That was Transportation Matters, the CEO podcast of Daimler Trucks and Buses. Our next episode will be available on the first Wednesday of next month. If you enjoyed what you've heard, share this episode and subscribe to Transportation Matters on your preferred podcast platform. You can do this by tapping the follow or subscribe button right next to the podcast title.